Just so you know, a, a podcast apparently now is active uh, online with, uh, with the teaching from Sunday, and so that's what this is for, if you can benefit from that or if you know of anybody else who can. So let's take a look now at God's Word. All right, I am, I'm really, I'm kind of toying with something, I'm kind of, uh, in my mind, kind of toying with some ideas this morning. You know, part of me has so enjoyed um, our time together on Tuesday nights. If you haven't been a part of that, it's been, it's been a real blessing from God. And uh, I really enjoy interaction. I, I kind of enjoy, I enjoy the Socratic method. Yes? Yes, I'm, I'm going, yeah, sure, Tuesday, hey, thank you. That's exactly what I want. There's a custom in America that you, uh, you don't interrupt a speaker. You, and that's a, that's, a, that's a custom in our culture. I think it's bogus. Well, it's kind of interesting, and I'll cover this in a second. Um, but uh, Stacey was referring to uh, studying Samuel. So on Tuesday nights over near Alamo Square uh, Park, we are studying the book of Samuel. And you're all invited. It's a wonderful night, uh, good food, good, good, good uh, company, uh, good community, and a great time over God's Word. Uh, McLaren will be leading the, uh, leading the teaching this week, so I, I don't think you, you don't want to miss it. That's <laughs> my plug for you. You can interrupt him. So the reason I think it's funny, this interruption thing, is an interaction. Jesus gets interrupted all the time. No, I'm not saying I'm Jesus. I'm not saying I'm Jesus. But one of the things that happens in the New Testament is Jesus gets interrupted. In this, ta- this story, he's going to get interrupted by somebody coming through the roof. Now, that's not going to happen here, I don't think. But and it occurred to me, it's kind of funny. I, if Jesus could be interrupted, you could interrupt me. At least in my worldview. Maybe you don't participate in my worldview. Maybe my worldview is not familiar to you. But in my worldview, in the worldview that I take to be from God's word, Jesus is the Son of God. That's the way this book Mark starts. It's what Mark thinks. Jesus is the Son of God, and this is the gospel of the Son of God. And he was never offended by being interrupted. Well, that seems like a clue to me that this should, we should be careful. I don't want to merely be a, uh, have a, have just had come up here and just deliver a message, and, uh, which I can do. I'm, I don't have any uh, weakness in that area, but I don't know if it's always the best thing. So I, I have this image, I have this idea of kind of deconstructing the sermon a little bit where it's more interactive. You get to interrupt me. If I think you're wrong, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. But you can ask me anything you want, as long as it pertains to what we're talking about. So, in that spirit, in that kind of that engaging, in that kind of sense of community, I want you to participate. Some of you won't. Some of you just be like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to raise my hand. I'm not. But some of you will. And I hope that. Uh, use this guide that I've used over the years 
Um, if I feel like an urgency, like, I ha like a burning question, and I'm a little embarrassed by it, but it burns in me, I need to say something. Take that as being something spiritual is going on, and the Holy Spirit is probably kind of provoking you, and God will use it. God will use it. All right, we're here in the first story in chapter 2. Will you look with me? We're at the first story in chapter 2. This begins a sequence of five different stories where Christ is in conflict with religious leaders. As we looked at last week, there's a wonderful synthesis, a wonderful organization, a wonderful unity to these stories because they each one explore how Christ doesn't fit religious categories of his day. And I was inviting us to be delighted that Christ doesn't fit religious categories because a lot of us don't particularly like religious people anyway. Amen? Amen. To say somebody's religious is not even that much of a compliment. Is it? Especially if said person's a Christian. Um, but that's one, of the, uh, that's one of the ironies of our time. So we're going to read this text, and I'm going to ask you uh, when we're done, and we, we've prayed about it, uh, what's confusing? Is there anything that's confusing you? Because this isn't different. We're separated by both thousands of years. We're, we're separated by some narrative style differences between us and ancient reporting. We're also separated culturally. Uh, this is in Palestine and Capernaum, the house of Nahum, uh, uh, the, the village, the town of Nahum, I mean. So it was one of the Old Testament prophets. But, uh, but we're going we're gonna to read this, and, uh, and then I want to let's kind of engage it, let's see if we can get our fingers deep into it and, uh, and, and pull out of it uh, something that will feed us today. Mark chapter 2. And when he had returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son... Your, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts which is easier to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven or to say rise up take your bed and walk but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins he said to the paralytic i say to you pick up your bed rise pick up your bed go home and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never 
saw anything like this. Let's pray. Father, bless this time in your word. Bless the man who, uh, me as I lead, uh, and forgive me, forgive my sins for there are many. Uh, let your Holy Spirit knock at the door of our hearts and our understanding so that the, your word comes open. Open it up to us. Open us up to it. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, um, what do you notice? What's kind of, what pokes at your heart? What, what, what frustrates you when you read this? Is there anything that doesn't work, even as we're reading a story? Is there anything that doesn't make any sense? Anything that is just frustrating for you as you read it? Anything that just kind of doesn't work? Anybody? Anybody ask themselves why a roof, why anybody's taking a roof apart? Anybody thought about that at all? <laughs> the adobe structures of the Mount of Palestine were, are such, you've actually seen them. They're single-story dwellings, no more than, uh, probably between eight, probably no more than eight feet high at the ceiling. And uh, there would be, a, there would be a, a stairway out the back or up the, or up the side onto the roof. And the roof structures were changed every year because they were made of thatch, sometimes some tiling, but uh, on, and on, uh, on uh, beams. And the, the structural integrity of those buildings is so weak, it can't have any more than that, anything more than that up top. So deconstructing a roof wouldn't even have been that hard. Actually, the language is really funny. Unroofing the roof is exactly what it says in the, in, in the, uh, in the, in the original. It's, they were unroofing the roof. As they, and as they lowered him through. And if you pictured that it was no more than eight feet high, or maybe even lower, uh, it wouldn't have been that hard to lower him down either, right? You would, it, this didn't require a pulley system. Why, or, why was he, if there's so many people, why was he in a building anyway? That's a good question. Uh, and there's really no, there's really no the, the text doesn't tell us at all. Uh, it, it seems to me, and it seems that, that, that this happens a lot with Christ, Things happen to happen very organically. It's one of the reasons I like the idea of us engaging like this, because it seems as though Christ is teaching, preaching, whatever's going on, just because that's what everybody, it's like the ordinary conversation. That's what's kind of wonderful about it, right? So we're sitting there, and somebody's like, hey, and Jesus begins to teach, and it just happens organically. It's not that, now we're going to notice later that sometimes he gets strategic. He gets into a boat so he can talk to more people, etc. But this is one of those pictures uh, that John says at the, book of the, at the end of his book. John is one, the, only, the only of the one who records the life of Jesus who talks a little bit about what he's doing while he's doing it. Luke does it a little bit. But John says there's so much information, we couldn't fit it all. They're not enough. We couldn't fit all the books that could fit. We couldn't fit all the books in this world that could fit everything Jesus did. And that's what they get the sense. This is pouring out of him. And that's the immediacy of it. You notice it says he was preaching the word, the logos. And that, that's a wonderful expression itself, too. Uh, we notice again and again when Christ speaks in the New Testament, as the, as the book of Mark is exploring who Jesus is, that it talks about him using the ancient writings, which would be the Old Testament, uh, as, as his source book. He's constantly teaching from them about who he is and what he's going to do. So that's a, that's a great question. And we'll see him get strategic at times. You'll see him get strategic at times. What kind of, is anything going to irritate you in the story that doesn't work? Anything that doesn't, that doesn't make sense? Yeah, Brittany. Wow, that's a great question. Yeah. Right. 
Right. And, and this, is, this is a wonderful way that, that Christ operates. Now, it, it's, it's, we're going to see this. Um, what has Christ healed? What has Christ done so far? What, is, what are some of the things he's done that, that, that have been uh, remarkable so far? Come again? All right. So he, uh, he cast demons out. So he cast demons. Uh, what else? Uh, yeah, he hasn't done that in Mark. But well, well, well the transformation of things. Uh, it, uh, transformation. Well, you know how to spell it. Transformation of things. But I'm not going to put that up there. because that's not. Well, no, we can put it up there. That's fine. Um, but you know why I like that, like that being there? It's because the healing of sicknesses, the healing of sickness is a, is a kind of transformation, isn't it? Isn't it? So there, there's some. So um, I'm going to take it off there, uh, off of there, because it's not going to fit on my little, on my little uh, drawing I'm going to make. Huh? And then forgiveness of sins. Now, in a very beautiful way, these are all branches going down to a common root. And I guess this should be a trunk or something like that. Then get to a common root. And Christ, the announcement of Christ's kingdom, this is where you have to read Mark as a whole book. Because it begins, this is the beginning of the gospel of the Son of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because these are all symptomatic, uh, Brittany, of separation from God, right? They're all a result of uh, whether it's whether sickness itself the presence of the demonic kingdom. We could even put in here perhaps uh, the cynicism of religious folks, right? Uh, and stuff like that. All, all this, this cluster of things that you'll see. Uh, so Christ dealing with, when he says, when he sees the sickness of the paralytic, and he says your sins are forgiven, what's he telling us? What's he, what's he trying to bring us into? What, what, what's he trying to advertise about who he is and his victory? It's the, it's this, right? It's this kind of, it, it's this, it's the solution. It is the solution of the ultimate problem. Now, we can't, we, we, we can't conflate that he's sick because, he, uh, because of some sin he did. Christ is going to tell us later, you don't get to do that. That's not, that's not you don't have that perspective, you don't get that privileged view. Uh, you don't get that perspective that can identify a cause and effect relationship between a sickness and a sin. You don't get that. But you don't need it. Because uh, if we go back to the root, uh, we, we, we can realize this is the solution. This is, when, you know, a lot of times the New Testament talks about salvation. And the salvation is a, is a reconciling of the world back to original fullness and harmony and beauty. And this is what, you know, Christ is like, he's poking, he's, he's, a, he's building. And isn't it interesting that while he's building this is where the criticism comes in. The religious, the religious can't, they can't stomach uh, that this is the real problem and they can't stomach what the real solution is either. And, uh, and so... Uh, it's, very, it's very, very beautiful that way. So that's a good question. So we never want to do that. Uh, what's the most popular way that's been done in this generation? Uh, it was done by conservative Christians. It was to say that AIDS was a judgment on the homosexual community. 
that AIDS was a judgment on the homosexual community. Now, we just, we're just not in that privileged position to say that. What we want to discover is how sickness and disease are now opportunities for us to show God's love, grace, mercy, touch, like the lepers touched. And, uh, and we, want to, we, want to, we want to go back to this. And because uh, and, uh, the separation from God problem is going to push us to the Son of God solution. Does that make sense? So that's very powerful that way. Good question, Britt. Yeah, uh, Sal. It's a, good, it's a good question. Um, so the accumulation of these proofs are meant to be that. Uh, the, so what, what the scribes are doing, the scribes are a particular office. You have Pharisees, you have scribes, and you have Sadducees. We're going to meet these people. And they're di- we don't know, we know scribes are like, are, uh, be my job, be like a local pastor. And he's not inaccurate. They're not inaccurate in what they say right here. By the way, what they say is dead on. Leviticus 24, blasphemy. He is claiming to be God. He, and by the way, when they say he's committing blasphemy, you know what they're saying they need to do, they ought to do. They should kill him. And it's very clear they should pick up stones and to kill him. And uh, this brings up a riddle. So um, uh, I, and I, I'm, I'm going to see if I can respect the question well and try to understand where, where, where we go with this. Because I don't know that Christ has done anything yet that just ipso facto proves who he is. Right? It somehow resolves who he is. But it won't matter. You know, Christ deals with this uh, again and again when he says, when they ask him for a sign. And he says, if you don't receive the sign of, the sign of, um, if you don't see the sign of Jonah, if you don't understand that, you don't, you're never going to believe. You won't even believe if somebody rises from the dead. Because your problem is not the evidences. Let's say we, sit, we dealt with the, uh, the healing power, the demonic, uh, the demonic, uh, Direct, uh, command, commands the, the demons, he rises from the death, he transforms things, um, that if we answer, if we can present these to everybody, it does, none of these will make you believe in Jesus. Even if I were to do these things. For some reason, there were evidences today of answers to Amy's prayer, to uh, Deepak's prayer and everything. And if you don't believe, though, if you don't already believe, if the problem of the will has not been dealt with, and you're choosing Christ, knowing God has not been dealt with, it won't matter how many evidences there are, because what can you make up for every evidence? An explanation, right? Some sort of explanation. Some sort of like, uh, well, you know, I, uh, well, that, um, uh, it's a coincidence, that's your classic one, right? Or uh, let's say somebody feels better after we pray for them. It could be, uh, by the way, when Buddhists do it, it works too. Because how much of our sickness is psychosomatic and or part of our... Uh, and so there can always be like a challenge. Like a, and how many of you, come on, be honest, have heard answers to prayer requests and you sat there and went, 
Yeah, maybe. Kind of, kind of, sort of. And so unbelief, will and unbelief are really what are underneath here. And it has nothing to do with, um, and, and I think it's a warm way. What Xiao is doing right there is, and this, is a, this goes into a, an important part of the text here. What Xiao is moving into is, who, who's there? Who is there? What groups are there? What groups are present to Jesus? They're mentioned. You got scribes. Who else is there? There's the paralytic and his friends. We'll say paralytic and his friends. Who else is there? Right. It actually uses this word, by the way. The crowd. The crowd. This is, a, this is a wonderful motif that Mark's going to use over and over again in different situations you're going to identify. There's the religious leaders, and they're often cynics and critics. Then there's another group that's constantly around. Who is that? It's just everybody's like amazed. They're always amazed, by the way. They're always kind of like amazed. By the way, what happens when, what happens, what, what are they like when... Uh, when, uh, when uh, Pilate says, do you want Barabbas, what does the crowd say? Crucify him, you know? So this is a fickle group. A fickle group that's kind of like, and we'll put it, maybe they're entertained. <laughs> but then there's another group in the middle. I don't think it's going to bleed from both groups. That's why I'm putting it there. Who else might be in this group, by the way? Who else is going to be in this group? The disciples? Right. And by the way, some of the crowd are going to come in, and some of the scribes are going to come in. Go ahead. Coming in. Okay, all right, yeah, that's, that's, even a, that's another group, right. Um, yeah, we could put it, we could another, like, we could just put, like, the needy, <laughs> right? Uh, those who need something from Jesus. Now, the reason I'm attracted to, why, why would... Why would Mark, let's, let's, let's look at him as a, literary, as a literary author. He's writing this. What's he asking you to do as he writes? What's he asking you to do as a reader? What's he, what's he wants you to do as a reader when you're reading this text? I think he wants you to ask a question. What would the question be? What do you think I'm getting at here? What question is Mark trying to provoke? Where? Are you? This is really the big question for the whole chapter, by the way. Over and over again. Because there's three groups here. There's the, there's the critics. Some of you are naturally critics. And there's the crowd. There's some of us who are just kind of along with something that feels good or looks good or seems cool or might connect with us for a moment or fill a need. And then there's this wonderful group that, though, that's, in a sense, I think this is what Mark's trying to do. He's asking you to ask yourself, how do I get from being either a critic or a part of the crowd to being one of the... Does anybody notice it? There's a plural, there's a, there's a plural in this text. There's a wonderful plural. 
Christ is excited about it. And when he saw what? Does anybody, did anybody notice it? What was it, Nick? And what was, what, what's so striking about that? The word there. You know, I, there's something about this. I, it doesn't, it's not just the paralytic's faith, even. It's their faith together. Um, he answers their faith together. I mean, imagine this, guys. What does that have to say about what just happened 15 minutes ago when we're sitting here taking requests? What is Christ setting? What is the what is Mark setting up as a possibility? Now, I want to I want to engage you. I think it's appropriate for me to engage every one of you with the need for you to give your life to Jesus and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I think there's a transformation that happens when you know God. Individually, that happens. It does happen individually in the text, doesn't it? It's the paralytic whose sins are forgiven. But where is Christ moving here to make his forgiveness known? It's in and because of the work of a community of faith. And I don't think we can underestimate this. Um, how many of you are shy about your evangelism. Anybody going, yeah, almost like, yeah, we're shy. And I, even I can be shy. He's kind of like, oh, you know, and, and um, what if three other people were there with you? I picture it's four. It doesn't really, I don't think, this, I don't think it actually says how many people there were, but uh, does it? I can't remember. Uh, but um, what's the, is it say four? Yeah. What's the invitation here and the possibility for the shy evangelist? For us to think and conceive of leading will to Christ as a what? As the work of a community. And that's the kind of work that Christ is responding to and honoring. When I want to think about the vision of what we are as a church, what this is supposed to be in this moment right here, in this moment right here we're here today, is us taking responsibility that we would be a community that are doing what? that are carrying people. Christ looks at our faith because we're doing what? Every week. Well, we're doing what in our lives, in our prayers? We're carrying people to Jesus all the time. You know, it, 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 it could open up for us an opportunity for evangelism in the way we think about it. A lot of us think of evangelism as kind of like a one-off, right? It's a one-off, you know? If you really get quick on the draw, you know, uh, lead people to Jesus. Hey, I, I'm, I'm good at that one. I, I, can, I can lead somebody to Jesus in under four minutes. I swear. <laughs> it's not ever really t taken hold, I don't think. But the invitation is into a process known through and in and with a community of faith. 
a community of faith. All right. Pull, pull, that, pull that out. Think about that. What does it mean for when a, a visitor comes on Sunday morning? What should we be doing? What should you be doing? Somebody comes and visits. Give me an example. What should we be doing? Engaging. All right, good. Why? And I love this idea of practically removing the obstacles. There are obstacles. What are some of the obstacles when people come in here on Sunday morning? What are they? Turn right or left. Right, or left. right away. Do you know the people, or they go to the wrong door? That's why we put, do you know the sign out there is supposed to be one of the people carrying the paralytic? <laughs> it is. All right, okay, wait a second. Keep going. What, what are some other obstacles? What are some other ways in which we should be carrying and dismantling things that are keeping people from knowing Jesus? Because you notice it's the crowd that's keeping, sometimes it's just our crowd itself could be the obstacle. Do you notice that? The people who know Jesus are the people that come, they're the obstacles to coming to Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? The people that keep people from coming to Jesus are often what? The followers. <laughs> I've heard people say that I'd become a Christian if it wasn't for the people who follow him. I've heard people say that. Uh, Nick. I would say a lot of the time people who are visiting are like the scribes. They don't really think God can forgive what they've done. They think they're too right. Okay, I love that. Okay. One of the things that's happening in the text is, um, and this is where you can help me, and this is one of the reasons I want to do this format of us, doing question and answer and engaging, is because um, we need to know the hearts of our people. We need to know the hearts of San Francisco. You know, it says, now Christ had an edge. He's the son of God. And of course, he, you know, he looks. And by the way, sometimes it's just amazing. He just looks right in, knows exactly where somebody is. That's a gift God does give in this community sometimes where people have gifts of discernment. Sarah's got a gift of discernment, I think, sometimes. I've seen McLaren have it. Some of us will, like, see things about people and understand them. But you can use that to manipulate, but you can also use it to what? To encourage to be able to describe and identify what their objections are. It's interesting. You know what uh, the scribes have? They have something uh, that, this is a, this is a term that, uh, this is a term that uh, Tim, Tim uh, Keller uh, popularized. They have a defeater belief. They have a belief that defeats the concept before we even get to it. They have a, they have a belief. It's important to know what those are. What are they? So, so Nick's asking the question. People come here and they just think, that's just crazy that you think that, that you guys talking to the air makes people feel better. Maybe it works, you know, that's, now I'm not saying we don't do it. I'm saying when we talk about it, we better understand that what we're talking about, people question their hearts whether these people are crazy. If we know that, we know how to talk about it sometimes, right? Why do you say in your heart, this is nuts? Test me. That's the word with a request. Um, I will say this, that in his text to me and Deepak, Will said over and over again, he dropped the F-bomb about how he couldn't believe this F-bomb thing worked called prayer. I'll, re I'll rejoice a thousand times to be able to give a testimony about somebody, about somebody talking about God's power and experiencing it for the first time that way. What are some other obstacles we could be removing? What are some of the things we need to be thinking about? Anybody? Can you see any other obstacles? Any other rooftop? Any other unroofing? 
uh, we need to do? Yeah, Deepak. Fear that it's real. Fear? Fear that it's real. Fear that these people might actually be onto something. I, I, I think I've seen that. I've seen the, I, th- I think I've seen people get scared. I think language is another one. Do you know why I give footnotes in, my, in, this, in this? Because our language can be so weird. Do you know how weird it is to sing? People don't sing. You know? Do they sing in the Coast Guard? Do they, have like, do they, do they sing in boot camp even? They try, but it, never, it doesn't even catch on, does it? No. <laughs> the only place people really will sing together is at a football game, maybe a baseball game, maybe, uh, maybe an Irish bar. Maybe. That's where the Coast Guard sings. Yeah, the, exactly. <laughs> That's where the Coast Guard sings when they're drinking. <laughs> what are we being invited to? Why, why, why take the time? Um, thanks for opening God's Word with me. Uh, and opening it to me, too, and hearing about it. We are being presented the glory and the greatness of Jesus Christ. Mark is advancing in his narrative, a narrative about the Son of God, who's also called the Son of Man. Somebody who has authority to forgive sins. And so, as we do this, and as we're engaged in it, I want us to be invited into rethinking and reseeing. Christ and his greatness and his glory, recapturing our unbelief, moving from being a community of critics or cynics to a community who are carrying paralytics. That's one thing I'm calling us to do, that this text is calling us to do, that Christ is calling us to do. But another thing that Christ is calling us to do is to stop being a spectator. Stop being somebody who's just kind of like, oh, that's cool, that's amazed. I'm amazed, that's neat. And to being somebody who's carrying somebody into the presence of God. And the places we can carry people right now are our Bible study, our relationships together. We can do dinners together, parties. We're going to have a party where Thanksgiving, parties over Christmas. And places we can carry people are the Bible study and Sunday mornings right at this moment or at any way which we can think of. Yes, David. Amen. Oh, boy. Yeah, there's a whole other sermon that David could give to us right now. No, it's right, because one of the great things about this is how this gets you off the hook, right? Think about how easy this job is that we're being described as a church. Imagine we as a church are no longer worried about how we're going to be a church. We're just people trying to bring people to Jesus. <laughs> That's such a relief. That's such a relief for me as a pastor, because it makes the, 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 the work of preaching, the work of teaching, the work of this hour, not me putting on display erudition or articulation or leadership, but putting Christ on display. And if Christ be on display, there's healing and there's power for our city and for our generation. So the, uh, the challenge here that I will leave, uh, will, will leave us with is to move from being a cynic and a critic Cynicism is sin. Criticism is often just unbelief and, uh, or being a spectator. Sarah, did you have something you want to um, ask? Yeah, and it's, what I love about this is it's an event. You have to respond to it. It's in your face. You're either cynical, you don't believe it, it's offensive, or you're attracted to it, you love it, mm-hmm. you're encouraged by it, you move. Mm-hmm. It, it does everything to all these people. Yeah. Everyone has to respond to it. Boy, that's, and that is one, I, I, is one of the things I love about Jesus. You don't get to be, this whole, this whole chapter is like this. It's Jesus like this with sharing with people. 
Yeah, exactly. Same thing. The same thing's going to happen to us. Some people, you're going to tick them off. Some people, it's going to be new life. Let's pray. It feels so good to open up your word, Father. It feels so good to get our fingers deep inside your word. Make Jesus great in our imagination, our will, our mind's eye, the eye of our faith as we come to the table. You're a good father, a good God. And I I pray for new clarity about our role, new clarity about our role. Help us, some of us, move from being spectators to being people who are carrying people into your presence. Move some of us from some of our cynicism, some of that tired old criticism that's in our souls. So that we're carrying people. We pray, Father, you make us a church like those four men. Removing obstacles and loving people to bring them to you. And we pray that in Christ. Amen.